Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome along to Eurosport's very own snooker podcast, The Break, with me, Andy Goldstein. We're now, of course, into the business end of the tournament in Sheffield. And before the tournament is over, we'll, of course, have another podcast for you to enjoy. And as usual, you'll be able to download this and other episodes from your platform of your choice. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by the wonderful Eurosport commentator is David Hendon and the current World Championship quarterfinalist, Kyron Wilson. Dave, hello. Welcome along again. Hi, Andy. Good to speak to you. And of course, Kyron, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? No worries. I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm loving the snooker. In fact, I'll stay with you for a moment, Kyron, because uh, I've got to ask the obvious question. How are you feeling? How is your Sheffield experience so far? Are you enjoying life there? Yes, I, I always love it up here. Obviously, it's strange times. Um, you know, I'd love to see more people out and about and you know, sort of enjoy Sheffield itself because, um, like I say, I think it's a brilliant city and... Um, you know, we're just making the, the best of these difficult times at the moment. Who have you got with you and um, what are you doing when you've got a bit of downtime? Um, my brother's with me. Um, you know, it's been quite a difficult season for him because, as we all know, it not had guests at tournaments. And for this one, we've obviously been allowed a guest. So I think he's enjoying being back on tour life with me. And, um, you know, it's really important just to have that with, with the downtime in between these matches because such a long tournament. And of course, now we're getting crowds into the Crucible. You get, I think, to the last four, we'll have 75%. You get to the final, we should, fingers crossed, have 100% as well. What's that like, playing in, in front of real human beings again? Yeah, it's, it's certainly better than the uh, the applause machine, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really noticed it um, sort of at the back end of my match with Gary Wilson when the screen came up, because obviously last year, um, there was no need to take the screen up if one of the matches finished because there was no crowd. So obviously the numbers doubled because the, the the people that were in there wanted to get their money's worth and watch the rest of the match. So um, yeah, the, the applause was doubled and uh, it was nice to see people live again. Uh, Dave, what have you made of the tournament so far? Because, uh, you know, I'm absolutely loving it. The standard has been so high, so many centuries as well. Why do you think that is? Well, I think in general, people have been playing so much, you know, during the season. That's been one of the good things, obviously, during this time is that World Snooker Tour has still got the tournaments on. For me, the big surprise is that there haven't been many surprises. You know, the first round, there's only two seeds lost. And actually, they, they were two people were calling because Stephen Maguire hadn't played for two months. And Jamie Jones has sort of been a man on a mission this season. And Bingham beating Ding was, wasn't a big shock. You know, you always there's always one you can't see coming, but this year there wasn't. 
Um, so that's been interesting. Of course, what that meant was all the big hitters got through to round two. So you looked at that lineup and you thought, wow, there's matches here that could easily be, you know, the world final. So it's bubbling along nicely, but we're still relatively early on in the tournament because, for example, you've got to, Corrin's won 23 frames so far. But you've got to win 71 to be world champion. So long way to go yet. There is a long way to go, which hopefully means we might at some stage get a maximum. We've not had a 147 yet. We've had a few people come close. I know Bingham's come close. Of course, John Higgins a couple of days ago came very close. Dave, do you think we're going to get one at this year's World Championships? Maybe even two, dare I say? What am I saying? Why am I saying that, Dave? Well, let's start with one, shall we? Uh, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a good chance. We'll certainly get people getting close again um, because, you know, it's not only the money, it's also sort of snooker immortality, isn't it? If you make one at the Crucible, that's there for the ages. It will still be shown 50 years from now. Um, balance of probabilities, I'd say, yeah, I think we will get one. Uh, Kyron, when you're playing like a best of nine or a best of seven, and maybe you're 2-1 up or 3-1 or whatever, if you're going to go for a one four seven, and then there's a red or a black that's sort of semi-difficult, you might not take it on because, of course, you could lose the frame and then the match could be over within an hour. But because at the World Championship, it's over such a long distance, if you're in the middle of a match, are you more likely, you personally, to take on that difficult red or black to create that bit of history? Yeah, 100%. Um... You know, we've seen it last year. John Higgins, I remember him sort of mid, uh, during his maximum, he had a really tough red to the middle where you'd think he probably wouldn't have gone for that in normal circumstances. But there was a huge dangling carrot with, with prize money. And like Dave said, like the immortality of having the maximum at the crucible. So, you know, with that going on, I think all the players will probably have that in the back of their mind. Um, but, you know, there, there is an awful lot of pressure out there. So, you know, there is a sort of element of it. It depends on what sort of stage the match is at. And, um, you know, that will play a big factor. Okay. Uh, let's look back now on what's happened over the last few days. We'll start with Ronnie's exit to Anthony McGill. Now, it says in front of me on a bit of paper, you beat Anthony in the, was it the semi? I don't remember the match. Was it the semifinals last year? Yeah, I think it was like a PTC or something, best of seven. No, yeah, obviously, yeah. Uh, I honestly, I got nothing but admiration for for what Anthony did there because I was in there that night when when they were playing on the other table and you know when when Ronnie's playing, there's sort of a, a, a sort of air about it, you know, the fans being in there as well, um, and make a little bit more noise than than any other fans really. And um, the way Anthony handled it from twelve eleven down. Um, you know, fair play to him. And especially with what happened last year, he, he held himself together extremely well. Mm, Dave, what did you make of that match? Because um, McGill had a good lead over O'Sullivan. Then back O'Sullivan came, as you quite rightly said, Karen, he needed one more frame and McGill had it all to do. But fair play, he dug in and he got over the winning line. Yeah, to me, that match summed up the World Championship. It's, you could only have that sort of match in the World Championship where someone seems to be in complete control, but actually they're a long way from the winning line. And what you saw is, I think the way the pressure transfers from being behind to being level. When Ronnie was behind, he was playing catch-up and McGill was the man under pressure then to get it won. Suddenly Ronnie catches up and the pressure's then on him to get it won. And this is the only tournament where you can lose six frames in a row and you're still in the match. Any other tournament, you'd, you'd have lost the match, you'd be out. World Championship, I mean, Kyron, you lost five in a row against Barry, but the match was still level. I think you have to accept that, you know, there's going to be periods where one player will be dominant. And I guess that's part of the test of the tournament is to not panic when that happens. And and Kyron, I'm guessing for you, having Ronnie out of the tournament can only be a good thing. But I'm guessing from your perspective, whenever there's a big hitter goes, you're happy because there's more chance for you to progress further on in the competition. Uh, yes and no. I mean, 
when you when you sort of win a if if you are to ever win a world title, you can't say when, but if you are ever to win a world title, you want it to be with Ronnie in it, and you want to come up against him and overcome him because you know he's the greatest that's that's played here. Obviously, with what happened with us last year, you know I'm desperate to play him again. Um, that's just the sort of player that I am. So I don't really see it that way, but I, I know where you're coming from because you know he's obviously a tough up, tough obstacle to to overcome here. And Dave, Ronnie, of course, will have to wait another year to try and get that seventh title. Can you can you see him doing that? I know every year when he doesn't win it, we go, oh, that's probably it. And then he wins it and we go, actually, now he's on six. He's got a good chance. But do you think he'll get to seven? Do you think he'll pass the seven and get to eight? Or how do you think he'll turn out in his career? I, I wouldn't say that he wouldn't do it, put it that way. You can't write people like that off. Ever. I mean, look at even Higgins and Williams, you know, they're still very much going strong. Ronnie keeps himself fit. There's no sign of obvious decline. Um, it was interesting, though, the way that that match sort of went in the end. I mean, he looked nailed on to win it, and then he didn't win it. And that says a lot, actually, about Anthony McGill and his mental strength. And that's the thing. I think now there's so many good players who are playing to a high standard that even Ronnie O'Sullivan, you know, he needs to be on his game pretty much every session now. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't count him out, but time is running out. You know, um, Maybe it'll have to be the next couple of years. Can I, can I just add to that, Dave? I think you've hit the nail on the head there with, with Anthony. I think the focus should be more on how well Anthony played rather than, you know, Ronnie making mistakes because I think Ronnie did play well and, you know, Anthony just held himself together extremely well. Definitely. I mean, he was, he, he was sort of in a, a complete zone, wasn't he, at the end, as if it was yeah. frame one of the match. Incredible, really. And, and like you say, he deserves a lot of credit. Alan McManus said years ago that he was made for the crucible and I think we're seeing that bear fruit now. Uh, the next people through, of course, were you, Kyron, which we'll get to in a moment, and Neil Robertson. Obviously, you go on to play each other. Dave, what did you make of Neil's performance? I really enjoyed his match against Jack Dazowski, but towards the end of that, he, he did have a little bit of lady luck on his side, didn't he? Well, you need that, yeah. I think Neil Robertson, you know, he's obviously had a great season. He's a great player. He, you always fancy him against open players, you know, because it's going to be an open game and he's such a ferocious scorer. So in a way, Jack was a good opponent for him. That's nothing against Jack, who's a fine player in his own right. But over that distance, you sort of fancied him. Where he's come unstuck at the Crucible has been playing players who can sort of neutralise his attacking game a little bit. Um, last two years, John Higgins and Mark Selby, for example. So that's been his sort of problem. But yeah, he's, he's a joy to watch when he's playing well. Yes, he got a bit of luck here and there, but I, I think he would have won the match anyway. He's such a confident player, that's the thing. You know, he's got a lot of self-belief. Um, still a surprise he's only won it once of course that could change but yeah I, I, I was impressed with him got a tough match next though he has up against you Kyron which we'll talk about in just a moment but um, I want to get your views on your match against Barry Hawkins because I thought I thought that was a real test for you actually a yardstick to see how you're playing and you came through it how, how do you think you played in that match? Yeah you know we, we sort of said about it before um, I lost a string of frames I won a string of frames and I think it's about sort of learning how to to manage um, momentum during this tournament because you can go on sort of runs where you're, you're putting them together and all of a sudden, you know, your opponent gets on a run of six frames like Dave said, but, you know, the match isn't over. And it's about sort of riding the wave and sitting out the storm sometimes and trying to overcome it. And, you know, I was quite pleased that I managed to do that because at 9-4, you know, I, I had the, the match by the scruff of the neck um, made a bad mistake with a rest on, on a red to, to go 10-4. I, I should have put my longer extension on the queue. It, I was just too relaxed um, at that point and obviously paid the price because Barry came soaring back at me to nine each. 
Uh, Dave, it's um, Kyron's, what, six quarter final in a row now. Why do you think he's been so consistent at the Crucible over the years? Well, first of all, before I answer that, it was the key thing there was Kyron missed with the rest. He potted 20 out of 20 with it. And that was, that was one of the biggest stories of the week, the fact that the match turned. Thankfully, it turned back, but it turned on, on, the, on the miss with the rest. That was a big shot. In terms of why he's done so well there, I, I think Kyron has always looked to improve. I remember when he got to his first quarterfinal and one of the journalists said afterwards, you know, you've had a great tournament, you must be delighted. And he was like, well, I wanted to win the event, you know, and that's, that's a great attitude to never just settle for doing well. He wants to be the best player. He's worked hard to improve in every area. He's listened to some of the sort of pundits' criticism, tried to improve. It's just a great attitude, a great work rate. Um, and, and also, you know, you need the bottle, which he's definitely got as well. So we talk about crucible players. It's become a bit of a sort of almost a bit of a cliche, but he's definitely one of those. He's got the, got the, the temperament to stand up there, and that's so important. Uh, Kyron, you've now set up that mouth-watering clash with Neil Robertson. Uh, how excited are you about that? And let, I know this is going to sound a bit silly, what I'm asking, but from a snooker fan's perspective, right? So the first round is best of 19. I get that first of 10. Second round, best of 25. I get that. First of 30. But now you're coming down to sort of, you know, the, the top, top boys, right? We've only got eight left. Do you think 25 is a long enough distance? Do you not think we should maybe extend it maybe to, you know, best of 29 for argument's sake? Yeah, I, c- I can see where you're coming from because theoretically each round should progress a little bit, shouldn't it? In terms of, you know, you go to the, the last 16 goes to 25 and 19. The quarters should then go up. The semis goes up. The final goes up. But, you know, I experienced the final last year. And I think if you extend any more matches, that there will literally be nothing left for either player in the final. So I, I actually believe there's an argument to maybe make the semifinals the best of 25. So the players have got a little bit more in the tank for the final because I think, you know, we've seen some finals over the years. I remember watching... Mark Williams versus John Higgins and John just had nothing in that first session of the final but come roaring back towards the end um, so yeah you know I, I think you know the tournament works really well but maybe there's a slight argument to change the semi-final format they, they did change the semi-final not too long ago because when I was growing up as a kid it was always first to 16 then it's they've added on an extra frame I don't really see the I mean I understand why because it could be an extra five frames for obvious reasons but uh, are you a fan of the format going through each round? I think that what's in its favour is it hasn't changed. So for the last 40 years, apart from that slight change that you mentioned to the semis, it actually made it longer, which is kind of lunacy, really. But apart from that, <laughs> apart from that, it's the same test that every champion's had, really, in the TV age, going back from Steve Davis when he won his first. So you can, like the UK Championship, for example, they cut the frames, okay? So it's a different tournament, really, to what it used to be. This is the same test. So if you win it, you can say, I've faced the same test as every other champion. Now, for a player, obviously, it's exhausting, but in a way, that's the point. It's supposed to be the ultimate test. It's like nothing else you'll experience all year. I don't think it's any uh, accident. It's the last event. You couldn't play another tournament after this. You know, you need, you know, six weeks off before you pick the queue up again. But that is, that is what um, is in its favour. Is It's never changed. It's, it's a weird format. It's eccentric to have second round matches over three days. Is odd, but it's the World Championship. That's what it's like. Uh, Corey, let me talk to you a bit about your opponent because it's no secret that he's struggled at these latter stages in the past. And I know you're obviously not going to give away too much about what you're going to look for to analyse your opponent's game, etc. But do you just focus on your, your own match or do you try and work out what his weakness is and play to your strength according to that? Or h- how do you go about this match? Yeah, I, I obviously don't want to say too much on here, but I, I feel like I know the answer 
but you know it's it's all well and good knowing the answer you've got to produce it out there um yeah you know you've you've got to sort of analyze what players weaknesses and strengths are and um it's obviously easier said than done but you just have to play the 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 shot in hand at the time there's no point in getting too far ahead of yourself um and like i say these long sessions they're all about momentum and you've got to sort of ride the wave when you've got the momentum and make the most of it whilst you can and obviously sit out the storm whilst you're going through a little bit of a bad patch. And um, I think that's just through the experience of being here. I think it's my seventh appearance here now. And like I said, I've, I've learned that um, being 5-1 down to Gary Wilson um, early on in my crucible appearances, I probably wouldn't have been able to hand that, handle that very well. But going into a match against Neil Robertson with, with that sort of experience holds me in good stead. Uh, Dave, I'm going to try not to embarrass you in front of Kyron. So I'm not going to ask you to pick a winner because you've picked Kyron to go all the way. I don't know if Kyron knew that. But what I will ask you, no, he didn't. What I, will no, ask I, you, I, Dave, I, I, I tipped Kyron to reach the final, but I also tipped Ronnie. So make of that what you will, Kyron. Don't, don't put too much into that. No. <laughs> Dave, I, I appreciate it. I always do. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say, though, Dave, was what, I mean, what a game this is going to be for snooker fans. Yeah, well, I mean, I commentated on when they played at the Players' Championship and... Uh, Neil had played unbelievable stuff in the first round. He had four centuries or something against Lu Ning. And we were all wondering, you know, what was going to happen? Could he keep that up? And Kyron stepped in. I think he made 130 first frame, which just set the tone. And that's the thing. Even in long matches, the early frames can be really important, you know, because you're sussing each other out. How's he feeling? You know, how's he playing? Is he, is he going for his shots? Is he not going for them? That sort of thing. It's the sort of match you want to watch every ball of. It's not one you just tune in for the last session. You know, this is a proper match. This is a proper crucible match. I'm really looking forward to it. And it's, I'm, I'm guessing from a mental perspective, Kyron, it's going to be incredibly draining. How do you prepare for that side of it? Um, I feel really good, actually, um, in terms of my, my sort of fitness and my nutrition. I've, I've eaten very well during this championship, better than I did last year. Um, it's been well documented that the hotel that I'm staying at are, are helping me with that side of things, which I'm very grateful for. Um, and, you know, a, a big difference this year is, I don't know why, but I'm sleeping very well. Um, I was speaking to Neil Folds in the studio the other day, and we were both saying how important sleep is during this event. Um, it's probably been a long lockdown with two young boys that keep me up through the night, and I'm appreciating a good night's sleep here. So, um, yeah, in terms of sleep, diet, um, practice, you know, every, everything's obviously on point. Do, do, for the rest of the, the season, do you ever, are you a drinker? Do you have like a beer here or there? And if so, or if not, are you having. Any alcohol? Were you alcohol-free? What have you been like on that? Yeah, so last year, well, I'll say a year. It was eight, eight, nine months ago, whatever it was. It feels like a year, but um, I actually didn't touch a drop of alcohol for the best part of six weeks. And uh, coming off the semi-final match, I just said to my brother, I'm so hyped up. I'm not gonna, I know I'm not going to sleep. So I needed to have a few, and I did. And uh, I woke up the next morning feeling so groggy because that was the first drop of alcohol I'd had for, like, say, six weeks. So, um, you know, I don't mind having one here and there. I'm, I'm a little bit of a social drinker if I have one. Um, but obviously, I've got my brother up here and, you know, the big line of duty was on last night and I had to get a cheeky G&T in to watch that with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dave, should I ask if you've calmed down on the booze? I'm not suggesting you drink lots of booze, but... You know, I know you like a pint. I'm drunk right now. What are you talking about? I, I had to have one to do this. <laughs> but speaking of, speaking of drinks, I want to ask, I want to ask Kyron about this, this magical green substance you've been drinking. What, what is it and what does it actually taste of? 
it's it's one of those smoothies, um, the innocent smoothies that they they make. It's got all these magical ingredients that turn it a lovely green colour and it turns me into the Hulk at the end of the matches. <laughs> so um, if I'm honest, it's actually from watching my opponent. I see Neil Robertson drinking a similar sort of thing. And, you know, I always have that sort of stuff whilst I'm practising or, you know, my downtime just to kind of keep me ticking over and trying to feed my body with as much sort of goodness as I can. And when I seen him with it in, in one of the matches, I believe it was at an ITV event, um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to give that a try this year at the World Championships just because, you know, I just want to sort of see it out a little bit longer. And I'm not really surprised that towards the end of both of my matches, I've I've come out quite strong. Right, Dave, uh, let's move on to uh, a look at the other quarterfinals, shall we? Starting with Mark Williams, who beat, of course, John Higgins in the round before. What did you make of John's performance? He said he felt like he'd been hit by um, Floyd Mayweather throughout that match. Well, I think... What was interesting there was the, the sort of different body language. Mark Williams, who's the oldest player left in the tournament, is playing like the youngest player in the tournament. He's sort of sauntering around the place, carefree, as if it's just a knock down the club. Whereas John, to play his best, John Higgins has to be intense. You know, you see that burning determination on his face. And I think the fact that Mark was the opposite, in some way, threw him off a little bit. He's thinking, I'm giving this everything. And here's this other guy who's playing brilliantly, who looks like he couldn't care less. Um, and in the end, it was that maximum attempt actually that got John back in the match. He almost, almost the shackles came off and he thought, okay, I'll, I'll play the same way. Uh, what Mark's doing is incredible, really. Now, whether he can continue that, if he goes a long way, say he gets to the semis, can you still be going for everything then with that half a million you know, in, in the background? I'm not so sure. I don't know. You never know with him. He's an extraordinary character, as, as we know. But the way he's sort of approaching this championship, I guess because he's won it three times, in a way he thinks, well... I can just have a go here. You know, I should maybe in a way at this age, I shouldn't even be challenging for the title. I don't know. But the way, definitely the way he played had an effect on Higgins, I think. Is he playing similar to how he played in 2018? I think he's been playing more open. I mean, then obviously he had a great season. He'd been following this, this site right plan and, and everything was clicking. This is, like he said himself, it's almost like a sort of free roll. He's turned up almost as if he doesn't care. Now, inside, he must do. It's the World Championship. And as I say, the nearer he gets to potentially winning it again, to whether he can keep that same approach. But it's entertaining. I mean, it's great to watch someone just going for their shots. The crucible is where everyone's supposed to feel the pressure. So far, he's looked like he hasn't felt any at all. Now, Karen, we, we can't talk about Mark Williams without mentioning his break-off. Um, John, Ronnie, Mark Allen have all had a go. Are you going to have a go next? I was actually having this chat with Stephen Hendry um, in the practice room uh, last night, believe it or not. And he was sort of saying to me why he's starting to side with it. And I, if anybody's going to disagree with it, I would have thought it would be someone like Stephen Hendry once the ball's open. But, you know, I, I can get my head around why Mark is doing it. You know, that red that's poking its nose out every time off the player's break is, is starting to, to be a big advantage for players. Because if you knock that in with a standard nowadays, you know, get on a nice colour and open the reds up, it's frame over. So I, I do understand it. Um, for me, it might be a case of, you know, I don't want to change my break right now, but if I go through a, a string of leaving um, my opponent five long reds off, off the back of each break off, you know, maybe I would look at changing it then. Well, what I don't understand, and I'm going to try and explain this, Kyle, and I hope you understand what I'm talking about, is why. So let's just say for home sake, Mark Williams plays the shot off the top cushion and then just nestles into the pack of reds. Why the next player feels it necessary to push the white into the reds, but away from the pack to allow Ronnie, if you like, if he broke, to clip the reds and go back into ball. Why not just, as the second player, just nudge, keep nudging into the pack of reds so you don't give your opponent 
that opportunity to send the white back down to Bork. I don't get that. Well, you know, I don't want to give too much away, um, but there is a way that you can gain the advantage from Mark's break. Um, you know, if you play it in a certain way, he can't play at the table and he has to play the shot where he goes behind the black and then right. you play at the table. So right. um, you then gain the advantage and um, playing him throughout the Championship League um, over many days and many best of fives, I think he was starting to get a little bit annoyed that I'd worked that out. And um, yeah, he then tried to sort of counter it. So I um, don't want to give too much away, but th- there is a way where you can undo that puzzle. Dave, it's becoming a game of chess now, isn't it? Even the break-off. Yeah, what's strange though is, as I say, in all of the departs and departments, Mark is playing an all-out attacking game. So when the frame starts, he's going for low percentage pots and if he misses them, he's leaving the lot on. So it's a bit odd that the first shot, but let, we, look, we know Mark. The main reason he's doing this is to create turmoil, which he's done. He's created complete chaos. <laughs> Everyone's talking about it. Players are doubting whether they should do it or not. It's, you know, job done for Mark. He's loving every minute of it. Uh, let's talk about someone that's also loving every minute of, well, his, his snooker at the moment. And that's, of course, Judd Trump, who seems to be moving through the gears very nicely, Karen. Have you watched much of him at Sheffield? No, just, just whilst we've been sort of waiting for practice tables to come free. And obviously he's been practicing or I've been practicing. Um, I haven't watched much of his games. Um, I did see one frame where I believe Dave Gilbert uh, left him a free ball and Judd ended up pinching that frame, which seemed to be a big turning point in that match looking at the scoreline. And Dave, he's number one now. Is he number one by distance, do you think? Well, he is in the rankings. I mean, he's already guaranteed to to stay there. Um, I think he's a perfect example of what I was saying earlier. He's someone who can suddenly click into life having maybe not done much in a match and with, before you know it, he's won seven frames in a row and he's gone off into the distance. And also, I don't think it's a bad thing to start slowly, you know, without necessarily hitting your peak right at the start of a tournament like this that's so long. Build yourself into it. That's what he did two years ago when he won it. Um, it's interesting, though, how few people, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm one of them, haven't tipped him this year. I mean, he's the obvious choice, really. He's won five tournaments this season. He won six last season. It's almost like because it's an obvious choice, you, you don't tip him, but as long as he's still here, obviously he's a massive, massive danger man. Dave, we did a poll um, last night on Eurosport. How many titles can he win? How many do you think he can? I don't have the answers in front of me. I'm not going to say you're right or wrong, but how many do you think he can win? I think he'll win more than one, um, which he's on at the moment. It's very hard, isn't it? Because, you know, if you sit around talking about this, you can make a case for lots of players. Neil Robertson will win a couple more. Karin will win a couple. You know, Ronnie might win another one. There's only one a year. There's only one World Challenge a year. So some of those people are going to be disappointed. Trump might be one of them. I'd be amazed, though, if he didn't win at least a couple more, just because of his age. Um, some of these other great players will start to decline and because he's so good, you know. And I think, obviously, now he's won. I mean, the first is the one, isn't it? That's the biggest one to win. Once you've got one on the board, you know, he'd be confident, I think. Karen inflicted the Crucible curse last year. That happens to every first-time champion. He'd be confident in the next few years of winning some more, I'm sure. Uh, Karen, that's sadly all we've got time for. Before I let you go, of course, Dave just mentioned... Of- you know, there's a possibility you could become world champion for the first time. We spoke to Mark Allen on one of these podcasts, and uh, he said that if he were to become world champion for me or for, for us on the podcast, he would do the post-match interview, very much like Mark Williams did it naked, in skin-tight jeans, okay? Because he hates oh, wearing wow. skin-tight jeans. So I wondered if you could promise us something, that if you became world champion, you and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, maybe you would do the post-match in maybe a pair of Bermuda shorts for us and a sleeveless T-shirt. Would you do that? Uh, Andy, you you're putting me under it. Here. But how how nice that. would it be? How if I said to you at the beginning of the 17 days, wear these shorts, you become world champion. You'd put them on so quickly, wouldn't you? 
listen, I've, I've got eBay <laughs> legs, Andy. They're not great. And uh, uh, I don't on. really want to show the world them. Come on. Give me the Bermuda. Give me the Bermuda shorts. Come on. If you're world champion, you'll do it in Bermuda shorts. Listen, I've got a cracking bum, Andy. I'll get my bum out for you. <laughs> Will you do that? Will you do that? That's, I'll get my bum out for winning the world championships. That's probably the first and the last time I ever want you to say that to me. All right, Kyron? Oh, dear. Yeah, can't wait. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much for your time. Good luck in the rest of the competition as well. Thanks, Thanks Kyron. very much, guys. Cheers. And cheers, as always, to the wonderful Dave Hendon. Thanks, Andy. Good luck, Kyron. Well, that really is it. That sadly is all we have time for. A reminder, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast on your platform of choice if you can. We would love you, of course, for it. And don't forget, Eurosport is the place to watch live coverage of the World Championship from now until Monday, the 3rd of May. And as usual, you can follow everything on eurosport.co.uk and the Eurosport app. We'll be back on the break in a few days' time before the final. So from myself, it's goodbye and thanks for listening. <laughs>